Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio and we've got a special episode for you today with two of our survivors from previous podcasts. I hope you enjoy today's episode and thanks for listening. So we're back in the podcast studio and I've got a special guest for everyone here on a special edition of the Project Purple podcast. Someone that we had on actually as our hundredth guest. It's kind of crazy to think about this. We're like, this will probably air in a couple of weeks. And I think we're up to like 140 and change. So it's been some time. Um, Helen McGregor coming all the way from sunny Australia. Helen, how are you? Welcome back to the Project Purple podcast. Thank you, Dino. Nice to be back always. Uh, we, well, yeah, I'm great. <laughs> I know. We, we were just catching up and I said, you look amazing. You sound amazing. I know I've been following you on social media. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's pretty special. I mean, you know, think back there just out loud. You know, 100th episode, you were our first guest from Australia. And since then, you know, we've had multiple guests from Australia on our podcast. Um, we've continued to share survivor stories on the podcast. So just really, really awesome. So with this episode, um, if you haven't, first of all, listened to Helen's first episode, we highly recommend that you go back and listen to episode 100 because that was the, the episode, easy to remember. It was a great episode talking about Helen's journey to that point with this thing called pancreatic cancer. But what we want to do is share kind of a recap, not necessarily a full recap because we want them to clearly listen to that first episode, but maybe just bring our audience up to date in terms of where you are in your treatment. And then we've got four questions for you that we've asked all our special guests on this special edition of our Project Purple podcast celebrating our 10th anniversary. So with that, Helen, I'd love for you to share with our audience kind of a, an update of where you are in terms of treatment, um, and then we'll go into the four questions. Yeah, so the last time we spoke, I was starting a, a chemo treatment after I did the clinical trial, and that worked really well for a while. And then it suddenly didn't. And uh, my tumour markers were pretty much going up one to 2,000 a week. Um, and COVID hit and um, I had a few issues there. Uh, getting treatment as well because of my, I was having temperatures that weren't high enough to have they were high enough to have treat no too high to have treatment sorry um but not high enough to go into emergency so um weirdly after uh that happened three times for different things that I went into hospital but um in the end that ended up being because um I was perimenopausal because they forget you know Things aren't just about cancer all the time. I actually said to my oncologist registrar, I went, you've got to remember I'm perimenopause, could it be that? And it was. 
Wow. My I needed estrogen. Um, so that was a quick fix, and but I'd missed out on. Uh, I'd only had one treatment in two months, and had been hospitalised three times during COVID and two in that period of time. Uh, so I ended up um, changing to another type of chemo. Now, I was told the treatment before my chemo before was the last one available to me after my liver biopsy. But then um, because of the beauty of social media and um, our connections with uh, people all over the world, um, one of my Instagram friends told me about a treatment that her doctors had just slightly changed and has really worked for her. And um, so that's what I'm on now. So I've had three rounds of that and I have my treatment every two weeks. And your numbers have been going down. So my numbers have been going down. Yes. Awesome. Very a lot. So I'm, of course, mixing holistic things with my chemo. Mm-hmm. And then so we've seen that they've also had a big influence on my numbers as well because my tumour markers dropped 1,200 on the first one and then 7,000 on the second awesome. round of treatment. So I'll see on Monday what my next results are. So everything crossed. But I'm feeling, I'm feeling amazing. Like I haven't felt this good in years and doing stuff I haven't done in years as well. So my I have got no fatigue, I've got no side effects and, you know, and I did initially on the treatment but because of my holistic stuff that um, it's all gone. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> well, we're crossing our fingers here that the numbers continue to do what they're doing and as you and I were talking, you know, when we first logged on to the zoom here that we're recording on you look great you i mean you know from again from afar watching on social media now you struggled with the clinical trial and then the treatments after that and to just hear and see you full of life looking great and just really the numbers speak for themselves is just really really awesome so we're crossing our fingers and continuing that trend and the whites of my eyes are white for the first time in a long time as well. It's They're amazing. totally clear um, where they were sort of like a milky, slight yellow tinge <laughs> sometimes. It's... They're always a little bit milky, but they're totally clear now. It's mm. awesome. I love it. Yeah. So our first capping as well. And yeah, I, I wanted to bring yeah. that up. I didn't know if that was going to be, I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't know if that was going to be one of the questions, but I know on your social, I've seen that quite a bit where you've had that. It's like a cold cap, right? That they put on during treatments. Yeah. yeah it doesn't work for all treatments. And um, of course it doesn't work with the five of you because you know, you can't be near, near anything cold anyway. Uh-huh. Um, but on the, Last two treatments I've been on meant that would I would lose my hair. Now I have lost my hair everywhere else, um, but for some reason, I think it's my little trick, my 
uh, remedies once again. I am uh, look that's drawn on, but I do. I'm my eyebrows and eyelashes are starting to grow back now. Hmm. So the cold cap for me, I haven't lost any hair. I did lose a little bit here because I didn't put it on properly, but that's all grown back now. Um, but I also rub uh, lavender and castor oil on that, and that promotes um, and another oil, and that ha- promotes um, hair growth. Mm. And it's and I put castor oil on my eye eyelashes. That's really good because your eyes get really irritated because you don't have eyelashes. Mm-hmm. So when even when the hair falls out, the follicles that are exposed. So I used to just put a little bit of castor oil on a, a cotton bud, put on my eyes at night, and that took away the irritation. Now it also helps promote um, hair growth, so apparently. But it is working on me. And um, on here I add lavender oil as well and it's starting to grow back. It's so, phenomenal. And, and I put it on my hair too. Mm. So, but I haven't lost any hair. But in saying that too, um, some I've got a really good team who know how to put the cap on properly too. You've got to make sure there's no bubbles on that cap and it hurts like hell for the first 10 minutes when you've got it on. And In my treatment now, I've got it on for five hours. So if it's not put on properly, you know about it. Mm. Um, I have worked out a few um, things with some essential oils, get rid of the headaches and help you relax. And because it's minus degrees they're putting on your head. Hmm. So, but I haven't lost a thing, like even on my brush. So what you would normally lose is. Yeah. It's amazing. That's amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, First question. And these are the same questions we've asked all our special guests on our Survivor podcast for our 10th anniversary. What would be, now this is specific to your journey, first of all. So your answers are your answers and then the right answers. Given what you've gone through, what would be your best advice to someone who let's say is recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer? Well, at first it's incredibly overwhelming um, and I think we all digest it differently. Um, getting as much support as possible and getting the right support is really important. Getting in touch with foundations like Project Purple um, you know, for patient support and also finding the right medical team as well, um, it's incredibly important. You have to have that. And, um, yeah, if you've got any friends that are suck the good energy out of you, get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you put that. That's very uh, politically correct. Uh, that's you know. the family too. Um, yeah. Some people don't understand and you 
you're you you ha- you need to be looked after now. So you need people to be there. They don't have to talk to you. They just need to hold your hand and listen half the time. Um, and finding those right people, um, yeah, you're lucky if you do. <laughs> it's critical. We've heard that many times, and uh, I think that's uh, wonderful advice. Second question is? Oh, and another thing, don't Google. Another good one. Do not Google pancreatic cancer. I was given that advice because I didn't know what it was at first, and that was most probably the, I think my surgeon told me that. Um, It was the best advice I'd was given it's uh it's hard to do to stay off that thing called the internet um but you know it's probably the best thing you can do because and when you're ready um getting onto instagram and you know i have such a large pancreatic cancer community from all over the world and whether that be actually patients or carers or, you know, um, friends, loved ones of um, pancreatic cancer patients, you know, we've, we've got this amazing support for each other and made some incredible friendships and, and that doesn't just stop at pancreatic cancer. I've got friends with all different types of cancers I've met. And some of the treatments that pancreatic cancer does, like, you know, you might learn from someone, you know, with bowel cancer, for example, um, some different treatments, especially when, like me, I've got secondary. So some of the um, radiography, is it radi- uh, treatments, radiography treatments, when they go and do the beams and stuff. Oh, uh, so um, radiation oncology. Yeah, so there's different ones of those. And, um, you know, I found different information following people that inspire me. Um, and so having that um, Instagram, particularly Instagram, there's some groups on, on Facebook as well, but um, has really helped me a lot and in some ways it's maybe saying thing my life at the moment yeah there's always strength in numbers and i always say if you can find your tribe um you know your tribe's always there to support you and help you and be there for you in those times and, and especially you know going through this thing you know um, as you said having support is critical and i think if you can find those tribes some of them are virtual tribes right not with you physically but virtually it's it's powerful to have both covered if you can well most of us are still here yeah. um so and some of those people that I'm close to were only were given a prognosis, which I do not believe in, because <laughs> um, two out of three are wrong. And, you know, they were given six months, 12 months, and two years later, three years later, they're still here. So, you know, um, I think the support is so valuable. Um, and, you know, like, you know, having you, and Project Purple too, you know, all the information and the knowledge is just phenomenal. And, you know, we're so blessed to have each other. So, mm. 
there's strength in numbers. I, I've say it time and time again. Um, you know, it, it's powerful what the, what that can be and how that can propel people, you know, in this fight. So uh, it, it is such a key. Second question is, what is your number one tip? And this might be something to go do, something to do, something to think about for pancreatic cancer in your journey. So tipping like on something that I do? Yeah, it could be. It could be something, you know, it could be something that you do or something like a routine or, or something that you just, you know, something that uh, that's worked really well for you. Okay, so there's a there are three things. So I have tried many. It's got to be one. <laughs> one. Okay. So I've tried a lot of things over the few years, and I wish I'd known about frankincense oil two years ago. If you Google frankincense oil and pancreatic cancer. Uh, you'll learn a lot. Not only that, um, so that's something I take internally and externally, um, but I use a particular brand so because um, it's p as pure as it can be. It is No, it's pure. Um, but on top of that, um, I don't have it. my side effects of, gone from this treatment since I started using it. So I don't have any nausea now and I don't have any fatigue and they're two things that stop you from living properly. You know, I don't have any diarrhea. You know, the side effects of my chemo are those things and I don't have any of them. So that's... Um, my biggest tip and it's something I wish I had been told two years ago <laughs> or over two years ago. <laughs> it's a game changer. It's, it's amazing how life changer. a little tweak, not a little, but you know how that can change. Yeah. My next question for you, what's been the biggest challenge of this journey for you? Um, Losing my family, I couldn't handle. I had cancer, hmm. so that was really tough. It still is, but it was, um, yeah, really difficult when people can't come to terms and then make it all about themselves, and when they constantly tell you that. Um, you know, oh, you you don't know how it is on us and, you know, when it's all about them all the time and I'm trying to navigate my way through learning as well. You know, I don't know the side effects when I started all this treatment. I don't know how I was going to feel. I was just starting to take insulin for the first time in my life as well. So... You know, and you know your appetite and everything goes, and um, yeah. So I lost my parents and my brother. They don't have 
any understanding at all. And, um, yeah, the psychologist at the hospital told me to uh, that I, if I'm to heal, I have to walk away. And that was really, really hard. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know that's not a, an easy thing. Um, no, but I hear it happens. Um, I've heard people whose partners, you know, 20 odd years. Yeah, walk away. Like, from the doctors providing their, you know, their diagnosis. So, yeah, it does happen. And yeah, because I think knowing that it does happen to quite a few people that um, I know I'm not alone, so we talk about it. Mm. Well, I think I go back to what you said, you know, in terms of the best advice is having that strong support system. And, you know, that support system isn't defined by family because it may not be family. It may be friends. It may be strangers. You know, it may be, like you said, groups, you know, on social media that, that get you through this. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I, I think that's something that's super, you know, just looking back at your answers is just that much more impactful, you know, to have strong support and that may not be your family. Um, and that's just a reality. Um, you know, unfortunately it's sad, but you've got great support. Yeah. The rest of my family are brilliant, like aunties and uncles and stuff. And I have the most incredible friends I mean, I have a group called the Hells Angels <laughs> and um, oh, I'd be lost without them. But I, you know, I'm, yeah, I've got the most incredible support group. So That's I get awesome. everything. So important. And I have a son, 13-year-old son who's just magnificent, who's so incredibly understanding and so beyond his years. So I'm very proud. <laughs> well, I know on the last podcast you said, you know, he's the reason why. And so, uh, you know, again, if you haven't listened to the, the first podcast, episode 100, highly recommend you go and listen to that one. My last question for you, and this kind of sums up all the questions is, what has worked the best for you? And I know that's a loaded question. These are not easy questions, and we always save the hardest one for the last question. But if you had to pick one thing, what would that be? Me? You. Me. I think because I do so much research looking into things and what works for me, understanding my body, listening to my body. So I'm very in tune with myself. Um, yeah, listen to it. I also, yeah, do a lot of research, do a lot of asking questions, learning from people whether it's, you know, be dietitians and nutritionalists and stuff like that. So I think with 
what I'm doing and navigating um, is been the best help for me because some things, even though I've got, you know, incredible friends and support and, and the medical team, I'm also throwing things at them that they've never thought of before and pushing things a bit. So, yeah, sorry, my question, my answer to that one. (laughs) That's a, that's a perfect answer. That's the right answer, Helen. You know, there's no right or wrong. These are what's relevant and how it fits your journey and it's your journey. You know, and yeah. that's the best thing about this is, you know, but the, the, the strength in all of this is sharing that. And, you know, when you say me, you know, it, it brings me back to something we've heard a lot is that you have to be your biggest advocate. Like you have to advocate yeah. for yourself. You have to do a lot of these things. Unfortunately, the medical yeah. system worldwide, no one's going to give you anything, you know, no one's going to offer you kind of the latest and greatest unless you ask for it. And I, and, and what I mean by that is I know like, you know, there are clinical trials and doctors do try things, but, you know, I think patients really, I mean, it's sad, but this happens here in the United States all the time where, and it's nothing against the the clinicians is, you know, patients have to ask for that, that extra, go that extra mile. And I think that's a global issue, you know, with medicine. You know, so it's a perfect answer to, to your journey. So I appreciate you being honest and, you know, open with our audience and with myself. Thank you. (laughs) Well, no, thank you. Helen. Amazing. Thank you once again for coming on the Project Purple podcast and sharing your recap and sharing with us the four hard questions. I know they're not easy. Um, they're loaded and, um, there's a reason for that, but your answers are the right answers. And that's what we want to share. And as I said, uh, before, if you have not listened to Helen's episode, which is episode 100, we highly recommend that you go back and listen to that episode. Thank you once again for being a guest on the project purple podcast. Thank you so much, Dana. So we're back in the podcast studio with a special friend of mine, Nicole Carey. Nicole, how are you doing? I'm doing great today. Thank you so much for asking, Dina. Nicole, you you have such a great voice. You know, I don't think I said this on the last podcast. You should do voiceover because you have such a great tone. I've done speaking training and your tone, you're always so optimistic, positive, and your voice is, is really, really, I love your voice. So <laughs> I just love, uh, and you know, for our listeners at home who have not heard Nicole's podcast, please go back and listen to that. But as uh, we wanted to do here, Nicole, this is a special episode in our 10th anniversary recapping with some of our survivors. And for those who listened to your previous podcast, let's give them a, a kind of a, a recap or just kind of bring them up to speed from the last time we spoke to where you are today in treatment. And then we'll get into our questions. Okay. Um, I was originally diagnosed 
in 2018, July of 2018, um, had the Whipple procedure in October of 2018, discovered in November of 2018 that the cancer had spread to my lungs. And since then, I've just been getting chemo treatment every couple of weeks, every other week. And as of right now, my numbers are good. There's uh, no spreading. Everything is stable. And I'm grateful for that. So it, it didn't work out the way we wanted it, of course. I mm-hmm. uh, thought the Whipple procedure would get it. And then, you know, I could walk away. But it didn't work like that. And so I'm still being treated. And I'm still here. So with that, I'm grateful. It's awesome. And uh, it's, it's been kind of rough. Of course, um, especially during this pandemic, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely been rough trying to make sure that I'm, I'm careful, that I'm protecting myself, um, watching the people in the, around me in my environment. Um, but I haven't had an episode of COVID, thank goodness. And um, I've, I've been keeping myself safe in this environment. Now, before we started recording, you and I were catching up and, and you talked about how you just had some eye surgery done. How was that experience given? I mean, I mean, you're familiar with going into a hospital to get chemotherapy and going through all those precautions. Was it any different having the eye surgery or were you any nervous or well, less yeah. nervous? That was, well, um, I was a little bit nervous. I was referred to a specialist that actually does the cataract procedure for people that have great circumstances. So mm-hmm. um, I did not have regular anesthesia. Uh, they just uh, kind of deaden the area around my eyes. So I was completely awake with my eyes open for the procedure. Um, the doctor was awesome. Um, he has a, a, a jazz fetish and, and I love jazz music. So that was great to have the jazz music playing while oh, you're awake awesome. during this procedure. But um, yeah, I had one eye done and then the next one two weeks later, but that process went wonderful. Um, no, no problems, um, no issues at all. So I thought that the hospital and the doctor uh, did a wonderful job in terms of their process and procedures in order to make that happen with no effects. So it was great. It's awesome. So we've got four questions for you. And I know before we hit record, I, I gave you the four. So I don't mm-hmm. think you've had much time to think about them. Um, <laughs> but uh, same four questions we've asked everyone on this uh, special episode. The first one is, Someone who's just been diagnosed, what would be the best advice that you would give them today? And there's no right or wrong to any of these four. These are really your answers. It's my advice to someone that was recently that's been recently diagnosed is to take your time and soak it in. Take your time to scream, to cry, to curse to yell, whatever it is that you need to do. Take your time, absorb it, and then get about the business of handling what you can. If there's a surgery that you can go through that is going to 
because the cancer way, do that. If there's a therapy that you need to go through, do whatever it needs you need to do in order to get about the business of living. But allow yourself the time to soak in what's been told to you. Because you got to digest it first in order to get about the business of living with it. It's powerful. Our second question, what is the number one tip that you would give someone given your experience? My number one tip uh, for people is to pay attention to your body. When I was diagnosed um, with pancreatic cancer, I was feeling fine. My life was great. I had no problems. The only thing that was going on for me was that my urine was dark and not a pop drinker that much. I'm not a heavy alcohol drinker. I knew that something was wrong because of the color of my urine. And when I went to the emergency room, just to ask, you know, what's going on, I didn't, that got me a seven day stay at the hospital and a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. So I encourage people to pay attention to your body when something is wrong, get an opinion, get two, three opinions, but check it out because you never know what's happening. Yeah. And I I think we've, we've talked about this, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's, it's a hard one, right? Because I think when you, no one wants to become their own doctor, like WebMD, you know, and and going on, on the internet. But I, I think also you are your biggest advocate and you know your body better than anyone. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and and that's what's it. I mean, I know we've talked about this and not to get off the subject here, but you know, we've talked about this many times on the podcast about, um, you know, the, the, the vagueness of these symptoms. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of the most frustrating things with this disease. It is. There's a guy, uh, Sean, Sean, I can't remember his last name, but he's um, been part of Project Purple. And um, I see him on Twitter a lot, but he is the. Uh, oh, Sean. Yeah. Person. From, from England. Okay. I didn't know where he was yeah. from, but I, read his, uh, uh, listen to his story. He talked about the, the, the difference in his color, the urine. Yeah. And so I was like, ah, oh, wow. Somebody else said the same thing, you know? Yeah. But yeah. So once, you know, you start sharing with people and, and, and people are picking up on things, you know, like I encourage my son, pay attention, you know, to your bowels, to mm-hmm. your urine. Mm-hmm. You've got to pay attention to things like that because, you, you know, and nobody knows but you and you're not a doctor. So it's not that you're playing WebMD. Yeah. You're just in tune with your body and you see and notice that there's something a little bit different. No major. A little bit different could mean, you know, a world of difference in terms of, um, you know, care and treatment. So I would just encourage people to definitely do that. Yeah. You know, and, and I think the other thing here that you just mentioned like urine and, and bowel movements as a whole are so taboo, right? Like no one wants to talk about that sometimes, but it's so critical 
you know, in terms of what potentially your bowel movements can tell about mm-hmm. how healthy or unhealthy you are. And I know we've talked about this. I, I chuckle here on a, on a podcast where we talked to a guy who similarly, he had bowel movements and that was like the one issue. And he, and we were joking saying, Hey, I wonder if you, if we could create a toilet that would, you know, diagnose, you know, what is wrong based on your bowel movements. And, you know, I've asked that question to a a GI specialist, Mm -hmm. uh, a gastrointernist, and naturally they deal with, you know, anything from the the mouth to the, to the back end there. And it's not far fetched. I mean, we were joking about it on the podcast and, you know, I chuckle here, but just imagine if there was a way to diagnose yourself from your toilet, um, Mm -hmm. how things would be, you know, potentially discovered earlier. Um, because, uh, there's so much to learn uh, from your, your movements and not to, uh, to, again, to go off on a tangent, but that is so critical, but there is a stigma behind it. I think people just, I don't know, maybe if it's, they don't want to know, or if they're just maybe grossed out by it, I guess. I don't know. And I guess it's maybe it's so natural for me because as a child, my mom told me that. Yeah. So my mom told me, you know, to pay attention to that, you know, uh, pay attention to your urine and your bowel movement and, you know, things like that. So that's how I raised my son. So I think that we as people have to, you know, be in tune with your body and then we have to teach ourselves that it's okay. You know, if the smell is a little bit worse than it should be, let's check it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's okay. Cause it's ours, you know, you own who you are in your body. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. So next question during your journey, what has been your biggest challenge? Hmm. During my journey, my biggest challenge has been acceptance of my situation and when I say acceptance, I mean the fact that I'm I'll, I'll never work again. And I'm 50 years old. Hmm. I liked working. Um, acceptance, uh, understanding that it's okay to ask for help. When you are the person that has been strong and uh, maybe the go-to person for your family, it's hard to then turn around and be the person that is needing help. And then trying to get some of it back. Once you ask for help and people give it on the days that you are stronger, you have to kind of push and demand that they allow you the room to, to, to be who you are. For me, it was the room to get in my car and drive mm-hmm. where I wanted to go um, or go to the grocery store, and pick up my own groceries sit down and pay my bills, things like that um, became important to me because I felt myself losing the ability to do those things. Um, I think I'm swaying away from your question a little bit. I lost my train of thought. No, and the biggest challenge, the acceptance of the situation. And I know we were talking about the driving piece, you know, and and I think that's something that's, 
you know, I, I think I, I, I've seen this often, and I know you and I, when we talked previously on the on the previous podcast, and you talked about you know friends stepping up and people mm-hmm. helping and and church and and neighborhood and, and family and stuff, and how you were kind of the, the caregiver before that for for some folks, and then you know being able to accept that. You know, it, given the situation that you're in, which is very hard mm-hmm. to do when you're always constantly the one helping. Right. And it's, you know, in my, my mind is constantly going. There's so many things that I want to do, but my body doesn't cooperate with my mind. So learning how to filter that into other things, um, um, pushing my friends to allow, um, like they will call and say, how are you? How are you? And I want to know how, how are they? Yeah. But, but we've, I think, um, my family, my friends and I have all learned to work together. And, uh, during the summer, my son said, your friends always call on different days and they keep asking you questions. And excuse my language. I told them, my son, I said, and clearly I don't know shit. (laughs) You know, I'm still (laughs) learning in this life, but I always pray and I ask God to guide my tongue, you know, so if this is, if this is the work that you want me to do now is to be able to help encourage, bring positiveness to people, then guide my tongue accordingly, because for the things that I used to do, I can't do anymore. Um, I used to do fundraising and uh, book bags for needy kids and all kind of stuff. And I can't put my hand on those type of activities again. So how do I, you know, continue to be a part of life, you know, and for those that I love and that love me. So I, I just try to practice asking God to guide me and my tongue accordingly. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it don't. <laughs> it's powerful. It's powerful. Last question. What has worked best so far? And it might not be one thing, Nicole. Uh, Faith. For me. um, Has worked. Because. You go through a part where you are, life was good. I was churchgoer. I, I tithe. Um, I'm involved in my church and my community. And then I'm, I've got cancer. So when I tell the truth, I became angry with God. Because why? So now that I'm no longer angry and I'm accepting of my situation, It's helped me learn to live in treatment, in faith, knowing that God has something else he has for me to do. Nine months ago, I was preparing my my days to die. Now, I look forward to living every day, even on a bad day. So faith is what 
works for me and prayer. I've got another question that just came out of that. Do you have a go-to verse prayer that you use that you can share? <laughs> oh God, what is it? I don't even know the scripture, but it says, cleanse me, oh God, make me new, create a right spirit within me. And now that I'm saying it, I want to say that it is Psalms 91. Which part of it? I don't know. But it's Psalms 91. And it is begging, creating me a clean heart, oh God. That's my favorite. Because I'm looking forward to that each day that I can open my eyes and, and I'm still here. I just ask him to create in me a clean heart. Create a righteous spirit. Let me do what it is that he's keeping me here to do. Powerful. And let's have some fun with it too, because I like to party. <laughs> and that has not changed. Uh, you know, I know what, things have changed in terms of the COVID pandemic that we're in. But, um, you know, as you said, you know, being able to, to still get to some stuff. I think before we hit record, you know, prior to and, and be with your son and enjoy the, the last couple of months before he went back to college. Just really special. Mm-hmm. It was great. And now he, he doesn't even know. Um, I miss him so much mm. because we cook together. And this is the first time that we cook together and we would pick these different recipes and stuff like that. And we watch the food network all the time. And some days he thought he was Bobby Flay. You know? <laughs> um, but it was great learning. And so now that he is at school, like yesterday he asked, you know, mom, what, what are you having for dinner today? You know, it's my day to cook. And so I miss that. I miss that. But um, it's, it's been great. You know, you have to pull, I like to pull the positive. You know, we struggled a lot, you know, financially. And I've gotten my mortgage modified, the car loan. You know, God, it's been so much. But to pull the positiveness and look for all that was good in the midst of the tornado, I love it. And that's what's best. Powerful stuff, Nicole. Thank you once again for being on the project purple podcast thank you so much dino i appreciate you calling and inviting me in Thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today, please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share this episode and others. And until next time, please be safe and healthy. And as we say here at the Project Purple Podcast, that's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Until next time.